Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the CAC Show. I am Fringezilla. Sarah Summers over here. What's up? Women's champion. Need to correct that. Oh, that silly thing. Oh, come on, silly. You are the women's (laughs) champion. You wouldn't be the women's champion unless you deserved it and you were an ass kicker. So come on, let's give credit where it's due. Yes. SWGA, South Haven, Mississippi, uh, last Friday night in a battle royal, I uh, I won the battle royal and I was crowned women's champion. Yes, that was me. It's pretty exciting, actually. <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I actually stood and applauded, but you, you couldn't see that, which is okay because I'm so bald that my head shines and it will probably blind you from the reflection. Uh, however, this is actually going to be a very interesting show because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're probably in the next 15 minutes going to be joined by a, a wrestler who you're very familiar with. Yeah, I know him a little bit. I know him a little bit. <laughs> Strangers in the night. Exactly. <laughs> of course, we are talking about none other than... Farmer Billy Hills. <laughs> I've actually been wanting to get him on this show for months and months, ever since you actually told me that he was a wrestler because, of course, me being the jackass that I am, didn't know anything about that. And you're like, oh, well, you know, you should get Farmer on the show. I'm like, well, aren't farmers producing, like, produce? Isn't that what they do? <laughs> and you said, no, he goes by Farmer. And I'm like, oh, okay, it just makes me more of a jackass. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It happens. Well, the good news is, yeah. is that for, fortunately for me, uh, he actually agreed to do the show. Uh, I don't think that that would have happened uh, unless Sarah pretty much made him. So that's good. Oh, I don't know. No, no. I was going well, to ask if he so, could be. He usually works <laughs> on ahead. Thursday nights, but it just so happened that he was off tonight. So. Well, that's actually very perfect because I want to actually get his take on these matches for the WrestleMania card. I don't mean to start off on a negative note with this episode, but it's just I can't help but look at the match lineup for, you know, obviously the card is what most of us call it. And you just look at it, and to me, it's probably one of the weakest WrestleMania cards I think I've ever seen. I think every single match is completely predictable. And most importantly, these don't even feel like pay-per-view quality matches, a lot of them. They feel like matches that could have easily happened on Raw, SmackDown, or just a secondary pay-per-view. Yeah, I think what they need to do is start putting some of the NXT stuff on WrestleMania and they'd get sell more tickets. Yes. Because, I mean, come like, on, let's uh, be honest, Sarah. Let's let's be honest here. If, if you had to choose between a match of watching, say, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, which is supposed to be the main event, or watching Sami Zayn against Kevin Owens, what are you going to pick? Oh, gee, that's a tough one. Big, big question mark, huh? Yeah, no, no, no. I would pick, I would pick Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens in a heartbeat. 
Like I said, I don't well, have don't... cable, so I can't watch Raw like up to date. I have to wait either what is it, two weeks till it comes on the network, or watch it the next night on Hulu. But and it's only an hour and a half long. You just get the gist of it. But I we religiously watch NXT every Wednesday, so because <laughs> it's on the network, we can watch it for only nine ninety nine. Only nine ninety nine. I think it is important to note also that for some odd reason, I have no explanation for it, none whatsoever, Brock Lesnar is getting a huge backing from a lot of fans. There, I mean, just about any time you see something posted about Lesnar, now you're going to see a little bit of a backlash with people say, oh, I hate Lesnar because he's just a part-time star and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But the fan base that he has has gotten much larger in the past, I'd say, just a few months. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that People really don't want to see Reigns win the title. I know there's, a, of course, just like I mentioned with Lesnar, there's always a group that does, but I think the majority don't want to see him win, and it still has to do with that Daniel Bryan backlash, which I have to mention this. I don't know why the hell he was thrown into the ladder match, the Intercontinental Championship ladder match. It's a huge joke. And then for them to call him a turd on national television, it's not doing them any favors. It's like, who is writing this stuff? I mean, it's... Are idiots in high school writing this stuff? Are prepubescent boys writing this right now? I just don't get it. Probably. Probably. That's probably exactly who they've got in the writing room. But, um, yeah, I just – I don't think anybody – I don't think anybody thinks that Reigns is ready for to carry the company on his back. I mean, you can, you can hate on John Cena all you want, but he has carried that company on his back for the last decade, and he's done it well. It's not that he wouldn't give up his spot. There was no one to take his spot. He'll give it up. All you got to do is take it from him. He said that. But there's nobody that will step up and take it. Nobody wants that responsibility. And he carried it, and he did it really well. So I don't think Reigns is ready for that. Yeah, we're talking a completely different transition when you're looking at something like Austin to the Rock. I mean, that transition – it's probably, I mean, would you agree that's probably one of the best transitions we've ever had in wrestling? Yeah, that was one of the best rivalries they've ever had, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. And I think that that whole transition from, you know, Stone Cold getting injured and taking that secondary role and The Rock stepping up and being the guy and being the guy until Lesnar came in, I think that that was a huge deal for fans because people really got behind The Rock. They really wanted him to succeed. And then when he left, yeah, he had a little bit of backlash, but people did want to see him succeed in movies because that's just further exposure for more wrestling. Yeah. Yep. And the big difference between uh, Stone Cold and The Rock versus uh, Lesnar and Reigns is they had personality. <laughs> they were entertaining. Yeah. That that's what made it. It's not they're not the best wrestlers in the world. They don't do a whole bunch of cool stuff, but. I mean, you still watched, and it was still good. Well, let's be honest here for a second, okay? Let's, let's just – let's just because it gives me a headache to even try to, to put it into perspective because it's just so ass backwards. But let's try to put this in perspective, okay? Roman Reigns has been with the company for – I mean, in terms of an, an active wrestler for two years now. In the two years he's been an active wrestler – the guy has not evolved more than just adding a Superman punch to his repertoire. That's it. That's the only growth that the guy has had. He still says, believe that, which is a shield reference. He still uses the shield music minus the shield, 
you know, how I would say, shield, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's the same stuff. He has not even tried to evolve other than just adding the stupid Superman punch, which I'm sorry is one of the weakest, lamest moves in wrestling today. Yeah. That's not his fault, though. Well, I think you gotta, that it's you gotta, kind you of... to blame creative a little bit for that. Well, I, I don't think that, that everything falls on him, mind you. I do think that the in-ring action that he is supposed to provide is completely his fault because just think about it. Like, think of people like The Undertaker. Anybody could sit back and say, oh, The Undertaker never evolved. He never evolved. There's so much evidence to the contrary on that. What evidence is there for Roman? Absolutely none. There's nothing to show that he has even tried to evolve. And, and that's just, to me, pretty weak because look at The Undertaker. Like I said, for an example, he added all kinds of MMA-type submission moves, which just made him more dangerous in the ring. You don't see that yeah, with played with his all gimmick, you... too. Exactly, exactly. He wasn't just the Undertaker anymore. He really absorbed that role and made it so, you know, I wouldn't say lifelike, but made it feel more real and made it feel more important than just, oh, he's a dead man who does choke slams and every once in a while will get somebody the last ride. Yeah, he played with his gimmick a lot. I mean, we went through, I called it the uh, underbiker phase. <laughs> and then when he went back to the uh, the original, it seemed... It seems like something out of Desperado, so I called him Underado. But now he seems to be back to the original, but he's he's still he's still changing up his game. He does the old stuff, like the old school, the top rope arm thing and the tombstone, the choke slam. He still does all that. But he also, like you said, he added some submissions and he he kept evolving, he kept changing his game. Well, I and you know, I, I hate to harp on the Undertaker. But the truth is, is that he's a, he's a perfect example of how you have to change in the industry to stay not just relevant, but to stay fresh and to have that aura that people want to see you. That's why sometimes you'll see these wrestlers, and of course you know this, will disappear for a while, and then when they come back, they feel fresh again. They feel rejuvenated, re-energized, and it, it, it can't be anything but a plus except when they're used incorrectly. And I think a perfect yeah. example of that is Ryback. You know, they just brought back Ryback not too long ago after injury, and it seemed like they were going to push him to the moon again, and now look at him. He's not even on the WrestleMania card except for the Battle Royal, which I'm sorry is a huge slight considering all the momentum he had when he came back. Yeah. I don't know why they ever took the Feed Me More thing away from him in the first place. That was so over when he first did it, and then they took it away and made him a bad guy. I think that was I think that was a boo-boo. Well, and, you know, that was another thing that was really puzzling to me was you've got a character who's got all this momentum, and it seems like everybody pretty much in the audience is behind him. Even the people that were chanting Goldberg, you could still see those people chanting for him during the match. So I think they were just, you know, heckling him, but doing it out of fun and, you know, just kind of giving him a little, you know, little stab in the side, but not particularly trying to tear the guy down. So, you know, you've got all that building up, all that momentum, all the the time that you've spent and the money and the ads that have had to play during times when he was on, everything that goes into it. And then you're going to say, okay, we're going to put him against Cena because everybody that goes against Cena gets cheered. Uh, Well, guess what? That's not true because Cena has a huge loyal fan base and a lot of them don't like Ryback for the same reasons that they didn't like CM Punk just because he's against Cena. So it's just you have to have a clear mentality and, you know, 
it's like Vince McMahon always said, if you don't know what you're doing in an angle and you have to improvise, improvise in a positive way. Don't improvise in a negative way. Meaning basically do what you think is going to work, not what you want to work. I call him Ryberg. <laughs> but just in fun. Yeah, I mean, I, he's he's okay. I just, I'm like, wow, that's, well, or uh, Ryberg Van Dam because he's got the airbrushed singlets like Rob Van Dam did. So it's uh, Rye Van Dam or Ryberg. Well, and you know what? In fairness, I know that a lot of people will say, oh, he copied this from Goldberg. He copied this from RVD. Well, uh, um, let's think about this for a second. Did he copy that or did creative put him in that outfit? Exactly. Because if you remember correctly, back when he was Skip Sheffield, you know, during the whole NXT thing, he didn't have a singlet. He just wore the black short tights. That was it. Yep. I don't know. I guess to me, it just seems like something really foolish to, um, you know, to say, oh, yeah, he stole that. He stole this. He stole that. He stole that. It looks like a, is RVD, is he the authority on singlets? Is he the only person that's ever allowed to have airbrushed tights? I mean, come on. That's just ridiculous. If you want to be technical, he stole that from Rick Root. Farmer got some new airbrushed tights. He got an airbrushed singlet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? Speaking of Farmer, I, I think we have him on right now. So let's go ahead and bring him on. Farmer, are you with us? Yes, sir, I am. How are you? I'm doing so much better now that I know you don't just grow tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's no fruits and veggies on this farm, good sir. <laughs> well, that's just me being a bad host and not knowing, you know, my guest, which admittedly, I, I will say, like I, like I said earlier, I didn't even realize you were were a wrestler until Sarah had mentioned it to me. And I've actually said to her many times in the past, we need to get you on the show. And I think this is a perfect uh, time for that because, you know, we got WrestleMania coming on the weekend. And, you know, I really got to get your opinion on that. Have you, first of all, have you seen the card for WrestleMania, uh, the eight matches that they've lined up? And what is your overall impression of it? I, I have looked at it. And, I mean, to be honest, is it um is it, is it probably one of the best WrestleMania cards? No, I think it's just kind of thrown together to kind of get everybody on the show. It's it looks a bit clustered, but I mean this is this is what we're going to have to look forward to basically from now on with uh with them because I mean as you can tell they're starting to filter some people in, filter some people out. So it's a uh, it's it's that process of. I don't want to say changing of the guard, but well, they're they're trying some new things and putting some people out there in the big game situations and seeing how they're going to react to it. So that's kind of what the what I think is going on with it. It's it's basically a test for some of these guys because a few of them they've not been you know on that stage just yet. Well, and I think that there's a lot of odd uh, booking that's going on here. And, and the proof of that is the fact that, you know, you have The Undertaker lose the streak last year. Then you have him face Bray Wyatt this year. Now, even if Bray loses, he's still going to come off as a winner because, A, he will have battled Undertaker, which is a huge thing to have on your WrestleMania, you know, recommendation for the future. Hey, I was against, you know, Taker, so put me in a good match. I mean, he's going to have that for next year. But at the same time, you know, he's going to lose to a guy who's going to disappear again. And I just, right. to me, it's so puzzling because if you're going to put these two together, why didn't you do it last year? Why was Lesnar the choice for ending the streak when he didn't need that rub? Him being the beast incarnate and all these things that they call him didn't need 
to have the Undertaker streak added to that to make him that, you know, much of a villain or to be that uh, ominous and, you know, scary of a, of a person to be carrying the title. So now, do you right. feel the same way that this is kind of an empty kind of match for Bray? It It is a little bit with the point, like you said, that, you know, Brock did beat him last year. But all this is is this is just Taker passing the torch this is all this match is even worse. I'll be perfectly honest. You want to know what I would really hope to happen in that match? It would be fantastic if Taker just didn't show up at all. I think, you know, of, co- of course a match is going to happen. You know, and whether Taker wins or loses, that's, you know, here nor there because, of course, we don't know what's going to happen just yet till some dirt sheet leaks it here within the next week. But, um, you know, I, I, I just I would love it if Taker just didn't show up at all. Because how perfect of a scenario would it be for Bray, for Bray to be able to go out there and be like, I challenged Undertaker on his stage at WrestleMania, and he didn't show up. He could really, you know, really lay state to claim that he's the new face of, you know, evil, whatever, you know, he wants to lay state to now. Because, you know, he challenged Undertaker, he didn't show up. That's what I would love to see come come out of that one. Well, you know, we think we think about these characters, and I think that's a lot of what, especially those two are, is they're kind of you know to the point where they're they're characters. It's not you know the Attitude Era anymore, where there are no characters and everybody is just themselves. Uh, I, I think that that's something that Bray has going for him because if you remember when he was just Husky Harris, he really wasn't getting much traction. People really didn't care, but as no. soon as he got the Bray character. He, you know, adapted to it and made it his own. And, and now look at the character. I, I, I do yeah. think that if he's able to beat Taker, which I think is a huge mistake if they have Taker lose two years in a row, I think that that's just, just why did he have the streak at, at that point in the first place? But, however, I do think that Bray winning would be also a huge rub because then he could say, hey, I'm the new supernatural force around here. Yeah. And, you know, whether whether Bray, you know, no matter where Bray really beat Taker, it really wouldn't matter because, I mean, this is, I think this is just sheer timing. I think it's all this actually boils down to. I don't, I don't even think that this was even really in the works or a plan or anything. I think it just, it came time, you know, around SummerSlam and Rumble. They're like, okay, we haven't really, you know, done or thought of anything with Taker, so let's throw Bray in there because we don't have anything for him either, because ever since they really broke up the Wyatt family, Bray's kind of fallen off the wagon, you know. But, of course, that's just what WWE does anyways. They build you up, they set you up, take it away from you, see how you do, and then, they, you know, they push you again. So that's basically kind of what this is, is they're like, okay, let's let's see how you do with it. That's all I think this match even is. I don't think it really holds any kind of merit. I think it's just really just a way to get them both on the show. You know, it's a way to see how Undertaker's going to bounce back after his loss against Brock last year. And then it's also going to be, okay, how is, you know, how is Bray going to hold up against him? Can Bray beat him? Is he going to be the new face of, you know, the supernatural force from here on in? You know, it's there's so many things and so many variables to be said just about that one match is, you know, all in and of itself, really going to make WrestleMania this year. Just that one right there, because nobody cares what the World Heavyweight Title match is. Very few people give a crap about the Sting Triple H match. 
So that that one match right there, and probably the one for the Intercontinental Title, really the only ones people care about. They really would have cared about the Stardust Goldust match, you know, if that one had have happened. But of course, they let that one happen at Fastlane and not WrestleMania. So. I think that there's a – well, actually, I know that there's a long tradition in the wrestling industry, and you guys, you and Sarah both can attest to this, where when, you know, a guy or a girl is on their way out and it's their last match to lose, and it's, it's that way of, you know, passing the torch and also of uh, kind of like moving on and showing respect to the industry. I know some people mm-hmm. don't feel that way, and some people feel that, you know, it doesn't matter if you win or lose your last match. So with that being said – do you, do you, number one, think that this is Taker's last match? And number two, do you think it's even important whether or not he wins or loses at all? I, I don't, I don't, not anymore. No, I mean, after, after last year, it doesn't, it doesn't matter for him anymore. I mean, he doesn't have to do this this year. This year, I think it's just the rub for Bray is all that it really is. No, no matter what Undertaker does from here on in, the only thing you're ever going to talk about is 21 and 1. So it doesn't matter what he's going to do from here on in. He's got two more matches left in him. He's got this one this year for Bray, and then they're going to talk him into doing the one with Sting. I, I mean, that's that's the only match in what's it been since 2001 that WCW closed down. Yeah, that it, that's been the only match they've talked about since 2001, so 14 years. You know, for 14 years, that's the only match people have been talking about, Undertaker versus Sting, Undertaker versus Sting, WrestleMania. I think those are those are the last two. If, if the Undertaker-Sting ever happens, that, you know, these two are going to be it for him. And he's going to, you know, ride off into the sunset. But for sure the Bray and him is happening whether him and Sting happens that would be you know definitely a fun one to watch to see you know exactly how those two would clash in a ring you know considering they're so different you know in their styles and everything else they're really not to see how they you know went at each other but of course with both of them being you know part time as they are you know they could probably just set up a ring somewhere and meet once or twice a week and put a match together, that would actually be pretty badass. You know, it's it's sad to say that that could happen, but that's almost what I see Sting and Triple H have been doing. I must admit, it, it really has been something confusing to me that, number one, like I said, you know, Brock, of course, breaking Take Your Streak was a huge surprise for just about everybody. I don't think really anybody saw it coming except for the people that really knew it was about to happen. And with that oh, being yeah. said, all, all because all because of the belt. That's the only reason why that happened. Yeah, and, and I think that it, the main the main thing that we can take from that is the fact that for years people said that Undertaker's streak would go down to Cena. Everybody felt that all, you know Cena was handed everything that Cena would get all the accolades, and you know of course people said oh it's going to be definitely Cena who breaks the streak, and it wasn't. So do you think that them even, you know, entertaining an idea of a Cena-Undertaker-WrestleMania match is even a good idea at all? No. No, because it doesn't help either one. No, unless it's unless it's to sit there, unless it's to help or, you know, whatever the situation may be, no. I mean, if I remember correctly, I think that match has happened before. Of course, not at WrestleMania, but... But no, it, it doesn't help either one to do that match. Honestly, there's there's nothing in it anymore. There's just after last year, since Undertaker's not 
you know, full time or anything. There's just there's always going to be money there in him and in that gimmick, but it's no, uh, uh-uh. no, I don't, I don't see where it helps either one. People would still pay to see it, but I just I don't see there being any you know good money being made in that one, unfortunately. Well, you, we're sitting here and we're talking about WrestleMania and we're talking about these, you know, obviously most of them have, you know, long careers. You know, we're talking about Sting, Taker. We even talk about John Cena and Brock Lesnar. These are guys that have been in the ring for a very long time. I mean, I think over five years on national television is considered a long time. Um, but, I mean, oh, most yeah. of these guys, I mean, we're looking at close to 10 years. Uh, with that being yeah. said, I think that this is the moment where Sarah Summers will take over and we're going to start talking – about the farmer and what happened in the beginning to spark the whole love of wrestling. Oh boy. Yeah. That's a, that's going to be a good long conversation. So hopefully you paid for a lot of time on this one. (laughs) (laughs) It's all you, Sarah. I thought this was your interview. Feel free to ask me anything, friends, man. I'm an open book whenever it comes to wrestling, man. So ask me anything. Oh, well, I mean, I have some questions. I just, you know, I've been talking the whole time, and I figured, <laughs> you know, I, I could stop flapping my gums for a minute and let Sarah have a turn. No, it's not. Now, Sarah doesn't need a turn. This is this is the farmer show. You've got to have some questions for him. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. absolutely. Uh, well, why don't you, first of all, for, you know, any of our listeners that aren't, you know, familiar with your work and, you know, how long you've been, uh, you know, actually competing professionally and, you know, on the indie scene and all that. Uh, you know, where, where did you start? You know, how did everything, uh, how did it all begin for you? Um, it actually started back in, if I can remember my times right, I have a very bad memory. But um, if I remember correctly, it started back in 2005, 2006, um, back home where I'm from, which is Crothersville, Missouri. There was um, a little independent fed about 30 minutes away from my home. And the gentleman that I did training and everything with, whenever I broke in, he had, you know, got online, got on the interwebs, and uh, found this place that was 30 minutes away from us called New Blood Wrestling. He got a hold of one of the bigger, I guess you could say one of the bigger names, you know, local talents there. They started talking and, you know, was like, hey, you know, I got, there's me and then there's my friend. We're interested in trying to get into wrestling. You know, what do we, what do we need to do, et cetera, et cetera. And the conversations and everything stemmed from there. And before you know it, we, we were in a ring like the following week. Um, our trainer, his name was Tim Robertson. He went by Tank. He was 6'5", about 425 some up pounds real big guy real big guy but he he's kind of who I molded myself after he was a big guy but he could move for a bigger guy he wasn't just you know he wasn't just a label big guy kick punch and his you know his finisher he wasn't one of those he was a big guy he went out there he worked so um that's kind of like where I got my start and everything was just in a little dingy little jukebox cafe was the name of the place and they had this dance floor that they really didn't use for dancing because hardly anybody went there except on wrestling nights 
So, of course, we were able to keep the ring up there permanently and everything. And we would train, you know, three days, three days out of the week. And then Saturdays, whenever there was a show, we got to, you know, do security and kind of learn, you know, some of the inner workings and help out and everything, you know, like that. So that was kind of where I got my start. And then what what really got me, you know, into wrestling, really, really into wrestling, this is is the weirdest thing ever, it wasn't even a match. I had never seen a match in my life, never seen one. We had a little movie store in our town called Wise Video. Well, I was raised by my great-grandparents. Well, my great-grandmother, she took me in there to just rent a movie or whatever to kind of watch. And um, as we're walking by the new release section, there was this giant just gray box. Because this was back when there were VHS tapes were still a thing. There was this giant gray box, and there was this humongous, muscular guy in yellow trunks with a yellow... Fu Manchu draped in the American flag, and sure enough, it it was it was a box for a WrestleMania, and it was Hulk Hogan on the cover of it, and just that picture, just that photo, is what brought me in, and you know I immediately grabbed it off the shelf, took it to her, and I was like, "This is what I want this week." She's like, "Really." She's like, you have no idea what this is. Are you sure you don't want, like, the Ninja Turtle over there or the Power Ranger that's over here? No, I, this, this. This is what I want. I want this. She's like, fine, whatever. She's like, you haven't been watching this with your with your grandpa, have you? She's like, I'm like, Dad watches this? Yeah, he watches this crap every Saturday morning. Okay. So get home, watch the whole WrestleMania, and if I can remember which one it was, I believe it was the one where he faced uh, Sergeant Slaughter whenever he had turned his back on us and had joined Iron Sheik. And WrestleMania and, Seven. Yes, that will be the one. Yep, that's that. Just that photo of him draped in that American flag, the, the Fu Manchu, the tights, and everything. I actually have that photo saved on my phone just because that's. It was such an iconic photo and thing to just kind of draw me in. It was just, I don't know what it was, but it just it grabbed my attention. And it's been off to the races ever since. I would sit there every Saturday morning and watch USWA, and then it changed to Power Pro. And then, you know, I found a friend at school who ended up being the guy that I trained with to get into this business. I got a friend that loved it. We gathered other friends, you know, around us that loved it, and we would just sit around. We would order every preview, watch every Monday. We'd watch both shows on Monday, and then here comes SmackDown, here comes Thunder, and then they started doing Sunday Night Heat and, you know, Velocity and there wasn't a wrestling that we did not watch. I mean, we were doing the tape trading. We were doing all of that stuff. We were getting stuff in Japan, Mexico, UK. We were doing all those things. And it was just, it was such an assortment of just awesome wrestling that just got us hooked and where everybody else kind of, you know, after high school, they grew up, you know, they they did the right American thing. They went, they got the nine to five at the factory, family, blah blah blah. You know, we we was we was still wrestling. You know, we 
we didn't really know what to do with our lives. You know, yeah, we, we went we had these little nine to five jobs. He he was I think he was working at a marine working making boats out on a river and I was working at a movie gallery. You know, we were just kinda of wasting time trying to figure out how in the heck we were gonna get into this and lucky enough he met Tim who was, you know, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us, you know, met him online, they got to talking and the rest is kind of history, some good history, some bad history. But, yeah, that's that's kind of what all, how it started for me. Well, I can attest to the whole tape trading thing because, and I've told this story many times. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, say you're in waste your guys' time and tell it again. But uh, I, I, you know, grew up basically a nervous baby. So my grandfather mm-hmm. was the only one that could calm me down as a kid, and he would always put me on his knee, and he would put on, old WWWF wrestling. Of course, that was back when it was owned by Vince Sr. and you still didn't have Hulk Hogan. I mean, you did, but I mean, it was in limited, you know, capacity. He wasn't technically the Hulk Hogan. Exactly. He wasn't the Hulk Hogan that we've come to know and love, but, you know, kind of the precursor, so to speak. And I remember watching back in those days, and what always captivated me, which really puzzled my parents and scared the hell out of them, was how much I loved Bobby Heenan and all the bad guys. I was such a big fan and not just Bobby Heenan, but pretty much all the bad guys. I always loved the, the heel managers. I always loved the King Kong Bundys and, you know, those, uh, those really demonic kind of, uh, you know, personalities where you'd get like Ron Bass who would, you know, scar people's faces up with his spur and stuff like that. I, I don't know why, but it was always yeah. really fascinating to me. And it always made me want to be a wrestler because I wanted to be the good guy who kicked their ass. Right. Because basically, you know, if you sit there and you knew, you know, that kind of in the back of your mind that, okay, you knew movies weren't real. You knew they were acting, etc. But you were sitting there, you was watching that, you're like, okay, that's not a movie, that's real, that's something I can do. You know, that was another thing that can really draw people in, you know, because you're like, okay, that's, you know, back then... I, I should rephrase what I was about to say. Back then, it wasn't a movie, you know. Which nowadays, it's you know, it's your soap opera, it's your entertainment. As a video that I showed Sarah last night, it's proof in point: wrestling isn't wrestling anymore. You know. So yeah, I think it's, the, it's the spectacle is opera. spectacle part of it has kind of taken over to the point where you know so many people that used to be fans are now saying, "Oh, I don't watch it because it's just you know." It's just garbage. There's no wrestling going on anymore. And that's what I love about wrestlers like, you know, Dolph Ziggler, Daniel Bryan, guys that make you want to watch them in the ring so that you realize this is real. These moves and these yeah. things that they're doing, just because they're choreographed does not mean they don't hurt. And I can attest to that because Scott right. Diamond broke a damn cane over the back of my neck and, and head. <laughs> and that hurt like hell. It still hurts. It's probably rubbing your... You're probably running, rubbing your neck and head right now just because it started hurting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and see, that's uh, that's everybody's big misconception. Um, I actually had a guy uh, just earlier this week. Um, I, I, I don't want to say his name. I don't want to call him out or anything. But he had gotten a hold of me and was like, hey, I want to try, you know, I want to try wrestling. He's like, what are some tips and all this other stuff? Well, I, you know, I gave him a few tips on what to expect, 
what to do, what not to do, etc. Um, about a month goes by of him doing it, and he sends me a message earlier this week, and he's like, I can't do it. He He's like, it is, it's too much for me. I'm like... It's 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 really it's not for everybody. It, it really isn't. I mean, people sit there and they have that big misconception that just because it's predetermined that it's fake. No, we know how to do things to where we're not out there killing each other. It's called longevity in a business where there's no such a thing. Yeah, the main thing being you have to be responsible for the other person you're in the ring with. That's like rule number one is you have to protect the safety of whoever you're in there with to make sure that you both make it out not just, you know, okay and safe but alive because dangerous, stupid decisions on moves that you don't know or don't know how to do properly could kill somebody. Exactly. Well, unfortunately for me, training takes so long. You know, there's a reason why whenever you start training, there's a reason why people sit there and they expect you to be done in three to six months. No. Now, mind you, can that happen? Yes. Yes, it can. It can happen in three months or six months. It all depends on the person. But with good, proper training to learn how to do this, learn safety, and everything else that goes along with this, it can take a year up to a year longer. There's this guy back home where I'm from, and mind you, I've been doing this since like 2006-2007. Anytime I go back to Tennessee to some of these old local places, there's this kid there, he's still training. So, I mean, I mean, literally, just the basic things. I don't know, mind you, I'm not trying to talk about anybody, so I don't know if there's something just wrong with him to where he forgets things or what it may be, but I mean, that right there can be a true testament. Of course, mind you, we never stop training, we never stop learning, but just some of the things I see him working on and having to be taught, I'm like, I learned that in like week three. <laughs> yeah, but still, I, 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 you know, I digress about that. It's just it's it's just that that shit gives you, you know, hopefully kind of, you know, people that may be listening kind of a gist on exactly how long something like this takes to be done properly to where, like you said, we don't just do something, go out there and kill somebody. Because whenever I mentioned earlier that, you know, it's been good and bad for me, I was thrown in a very, 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 very bad spot whenever we first started training and everything. Um, me and my training partner, we got an unexpected phone call to meet our trainer and everything. Um, so we did. He came over. And he's like, okay, me and the promoter, we had a falling out. So guess what? From now on, your training is going to be live at shows. We're like, huh? We're going to be doing what? He's like, yep, start uh, start creating your character, start getting uh, start getting your gear and everything else, because from now on, before shows, you're going to work out, learn whatever you want to learn, and then you're going to work the show. Mind you, we're maybe two or three months into this. We haven't even learned how to lock up yet. Was this good? Wow. Yeah, what, was this good? No. Not at all. I do not recommend this whatsoever to anybody. But what I can say about this situation is before 
we actually had a month before um, the first show that he started running and doing on his own. He was teaching us things in our living room and everything else. And, you know, he was there watching us, teaching us lockups, reversals, things you could actually do, you know, in your home, in your living room. You didn't really need a ring for, but whenever the ring was up, it was up and you was busting your ass to learn these new bumps. Sorry, sorry if I couldn't curse, but I'm sorry, my bad. But um, <laughs> you know, you was in there, you was you was busting your hindquarters, and you was learning these bumps that you should have done been learning. But with him having the falling out with the promoter and everything, you know, we really had to, you know, catch our bumps up and everything, pretty much. But um, and ever since ever since then, you know, it had been learn on the fly. You know, and that's that's not good whatsoever. But I think it was a a statement that I heard from Jerry Lynn. You know, there's no better training than live training. The thing about the thing about that is, is that's after you are trained. <laughs> you know. Yeah, unfortunately for me, I I did a little bit of uh, pre bumping in preparation for a match that didn't end up happening with me involved, and. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend doing bumps on grass. Uh, not exactly <laughs> a bright idea. No. My trainer, he was taught on concrete. <laughs> oh, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yep. He, he learned bumps and everything on concrete. Um, he, I think he, if I remember correctly, I think he said he did it for about six to eight months. He learned on concrete, and he he said he busted his butt about three to five days a week learning how to do this and everything else. He would go set up rings and everything else. And he said that uh, the very first time that he ever bumped in a ring, he's like, this is, this is great. (laughs) He's like, this is definitely not, you know, this concrete stuff. And, you know, he went with his trainers and everything. And uh, they were, they were, he said that they were off in the corner as he went out to take his first bump. And apparently they had been hyping him up in his head, saying that, you know, you bumping on this concrete and everything else the same way that you're going to be bumping in a ring. Now, for anybody that is, a, that is you know, one of us knows that's bullcrap. There's <laughs> a big difference. <laughs> you know, there there's, you know, there's falling on concrete, which hurts like crap. And then there's falling, you know, in a ring, which is glorious. So <laughs> he takes the very first bump. They're off in the corner. He he gets up and looks at him. He's like, "You guys are a bunch of lying mfers," and they just start busting up laughing because apparently, I guess during this whole training process, they were sitting there, they were feeding into his head that bumping in a ring is like bumping on this concrete. So there's no reason to set up a ring whenever you got this concrete slab right here that is the same size. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, yeah, and and I mean, think the sad thing is, is sometimes. I hear about stories of things like that still happening. I hear stories about people just training on a, on a mattress out in the front yard. And and I hear these things, and I'm like, oh, my God, who is actually doing this stuff, and why are they doing it? Because, I mean, sure, you got something to protect you there, but who's showing you this crap? Come on. <laughs> really? No. Get out of there. If you're paying, I, you're dumb. Don't do that. 
Well, I, I did, like I said, I the same. Go ahead, sir. A mattress is not even close to the same. No, not at all. Uh, no, nowhere near. I mean, the only time you ever have a mattress in a ring is if you're practicing your top rope moves and you don't have a crash pad. That's the only time a mattress should even be anywhere near a ring unless you're doing a skit like what Edge and Lee that did on Raw, then yeah. But even then, you know, during practice, if you're doing top rope stuff, you don't need no mattress, just do it. Because the sad part is, is laws and physics do not apply in wrestling whenever it comes to high-flying moves, especially going from the top rope into the ring, because the higher you fall, the less it hurts. Don't try and... You know, for people listening, don't hit me up on Facebook and be like, you're full of crap. I mean, yeah, you get in the ring and you try it. You'll see if you want to sit there, walk out and take a bump, or if you'd rather jump off the top and take one after you take a couple, you let me know. <laughs> because I'd rather take one off the top row than just take a clothesline. <laughs> I swear, like my trainer was telling me this, and I'm like, you're full of crap. So we get, you know to about the time when we started having to do top rope things, you know, before a few shows. And he's like, I'm telling you right now, you take a bump off that top rope, you won't want to be taking these clothesline practices next time because whenever you fall off the top, it hurts less than whenever you're just taking just a regular just walk out and bump and everything. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. So come practice time, climb my big butt up there, and sure enough, take a bump off the top rope. And I'm like, you was right. (laughs) You were right. Okay. <laughs> Physics do not apply to this business. Something new learned every day. A little star, the more you know. There, You know, there's a lot of things that really don't seem to make sense, you know, with wrestling in terms of things that wrestlers can achieve. When they have momentum, uh, you know, when they're just, you know, lost in the match and they just, you know, go for something and they just throw it all out there. And in proof of that is guys like Vader, guys like Bam Bam Bigelow. They basically defied gravity by getting to the top and performing moves that were just unbelievable. Even guys like Yokozuna, who was 600 pounds plus at one point, would drop, mm-hmm. you know, he just do drop kicks that were just unbelievable to watch. Yep. Yeah, I mean, people sit there and, you know, they – okay, this is this is going to be just – it's going to get into a subject that I hate, and I had an argument with the guy about this earlier. You know, people sit there and they put everything old school and new school. You know, as far as big guy goes, old school, they kept it punch, kick, finisher. That's all big guys could do. They couldn't do anything flashy or whatever it may be. Fast forward, here comes, like you said, here's Vader, Yoko, Bam Bam drop kicks, moonsaults, bonsai drops, super kicks, and it just blows everybody's mind. Well, here you still have those old guys that are just crapping all over this stuff and are still in that mentality and not being able to evolve with wrestling. And so now here they are bitter because they lost their spot to these guys that are going out there and saying, you know, screw you and your mentality. This is what I'm going to do because I'm awesome. I am who I am, and people dig it. And that that stuff still happens today. There, There's a guy that I know, he's, he's just setting his ways, and that's okay. But 
let me go out there and let me throw my drop kick and I'll catch hell for it back in the locker room. Why'd you do that? Big guy shouldn't be leaving his feet. I just, yeah, 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 whatever, and I walk off. <laughs> because guess what? Next show that I work with him, I'm going to do the exact same thing, and he knows it. <laughs> I think I know exactly who you're talking about because I'm pretty sure it's the same person Sarah and I talked about earlier. And if it is the same person, he is a major douche. I, I, and it, it, it's not? No. Okay, because the no, person we were talking about, the person Sarah and I were talking about was a major douche, and I'm sorry, but, you know, somebody who has nothing but negative things to say to the up-and-coming wrestlers, if you're a vet and you're one of the ones that are supposed to be setting the example, and you're just constantly doing nothing but degrading or trying to humiliate or tear down these younger people, to me, those are the people that are not just has-beens, they're never was. Are we talking about Bill Dundee? Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, Okay. All right. I could kind of tell by the way you're talking. Yeah, that sounds like uh, some of the horror stories Sarah's told me about old Bill. Uh, that, that actually that actually refers to a few different people that I uh, that I know of that I've you know had stories related to me and had things told to me where you know oh, yeah. these are you know reliable people. They're not just bullshitting yeah. me, telling me oh this is what this guy does because you know I'm angry at him for this or that like. No, these people, for most part, own their behavior and say, oh, yeah, that's how I am. Sarah. <laughs> he's on on end. You know, he, he's just hanging there by just a little string. His nerves are always rattled. He doesn't know how to talk to people. So whenever he sits there and he comes up and he tries to give you, you know, like, criticism and everything else, he does like what he does is there. He comes off as a major asshole. Excuse me, I said it again, but that's just, you know, that's how he comes <laughs> off. You know, and then, sure enough, after he does his little rant, which, I, you know, Sarah told me that he's done, he comes back, you know, he apologized, and he kind of, you know, is a little bit nicer about it. That's just the way some, okay, some of those old guys are. You know, you just, you really got to look past them. They're old, they're stubborn, they're set in their ways. They are what they are. You just, <laughs> okay, go away. <laughs> Sarah, know, take, can I just, take, take can what I just you thank, want thank, from it. Sarah, can I just thank you right now for providing us with our very first shoot interview? <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, man, I house. Like I, I I could tell you some stories, man. I I don't I don't care. Um, you this could be shooted, real whatever. I, I told you, man. I'm an open book. If you want to hear some horror stories, I got I got a few. I, I don't mind. No, I'm, lo- <laughs> I, I'm loving this because I've heard some of the uh, Jim Cornette uh, interviews that he's done, and I mean how he just says the things he does with no filter is just astounding yeah. to me because. I don't think anybody in their right mind would say the kind of things that he says without feeling, you know, a little bit of guilt for saying it in, in like a, that public of a place, because I've heard some of the yeah. things he said about people like, um, Oh, what's that guy's name? Kevin Dunn. I mean, the things he says mm-hmm. about Kevin Dunn, I mean, a lot of those could get you put in jail. you know. Yeah. And see, I'll be perfectly honest. I, I've not, I don't, I don't watch shoot interviews or anything like that much. I, I really don't like, I'm I'm still I still try to stay a fan as much as possible, you know. So like shoot interviews and things like that, I I do my best not to watch unless it's just 
somebody that I absolutely love. You know, so like dirt sheets and things like that, I don't even follow. I don't pay attention to like whatsoever unless it just pops up in like a news feed on Facebook or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, caught my attention. Sure, I'll I'll, I'll read whatever. So like these things, like I've I've heard about some of these things that Jim Cornette has done and said, and I've seen some video clips and everything else. And you know, you talk about no filter. I'm the exact same way. I don't give two flips of piss and a crap, you know, what you think I'm going to tell you if you ask me. Now, I'm not just going to go off and, you know, be waiting for you at the curtain. Hey, you freaking suck. I ain't going to be that guy. You know, if you come up, if I'm sitting there, I'm getting dressed, or if I'm changing to get back in my regular clothes, you come ask me if I washed your match and what you thought, then I'm going to lay into you if you sucked or not. But I ain't going to be, you know, your building D, wait for you at the curtain. I'm not going to be that guy. I haven't done enough in this business like he has to be that guy yet. Now, there's one place that me and Sarah worked for where I do kind of have that, you know, reputation because I've been there since day one, but I still don't do it. You know, I still don't believe that I've done enough. I haven't been on that, you know, big of a stage to be that guy. But if people come up and ask me, you know, hey, did you watch my match? What do you think? I'm going to tell you whether you like it or not. Because I've said this numerous times, if you don't want my honest opinion, you better not come ask. Because I have no filter. I'm not Folgers. I'm not a little coffee maker. There's no little white thing to put in me to control what comes out. I can attest to that. It's not a thing that I have. Yeah, it's not a thing that I have. I don't – my give a crap button permanently broke. (laughs) It just don't work. So I get in I get in a little trouble sometimes in wrestling outside of wrestling too with that particular button. But I mean, it's just it's it's just one of those things to where yeah I just I don't I don't care <laughs> like I have such a good enough you know reputation on things that I do in the ring and how I carry myself and everything else I can probably get away with it a little bit you know because of you know not who I am or anything just how I carry myself and you know, things I have done and everything else, you know, I can get away with it a little bit because I don't go about it like Bill Dundee does where he just be like, you freaking suck and blah, blah, blah. I'm actually able to sit down and, you know, have a decent conversation with somebody on what they need to work on, et cetera, and be nice about it, sort of, unless you just absolutely suck and need to get out and go move on. I could tell you how many times he's come up to me and he said, "What the hell was that? What are you doing? That's not you know that's not how it goes." My my do. major pet peeve is a freaking snapmare. If you don't put your <laughs> knee down whenever you're flipping somebody over, I'm gonna catch your ass at that curtain and I'm gonna be Bill Dundee. What was that? I couldn't tell you how many times. What was that? Huh? I think I I think like the couple matches that we've had together and like tag matches and whatever the name. I look off. What was that? Yep, yep, yep. She'll know. Like after she doesn't, she doesn't put her knee down. She look over at me and be like, "Shit." I know as I'm doing it. As soon as I do it, I go, "Crap!" I'm gonna catch hell for that. And I don't know why it's such a pet peeve of mine. I have no clue because it's not even that big of a thing. But I don't know. It just always has been. It's so weird. But here, I do have one horror story I want to tell you, and Sarah can contest all this. Uh, since, you know, we're talking about shoot interviews and everything. 
this uh, and the only reason why I want to bring this one up because it was in our time hop earlier this week because it happened just a couple years ago. Oh crap! I know um, where it is. Yeah, I, I want to tell friends about this story if you haven't already. Um, no, I haven't. You haven't told him? No, I haven't. No. Awesome. Well, guess what? You're about to really hear a good shoot interview here. Um, a couple <laughs> years ago, <laughs> a couple years ago. You guys still with us? Hello? Yeah, you cut out. You cut out, Farmer. I'm start over. No, wait. Is he still on the line? I can't. I can hear him talking in the kitchen, but I can't hear him on the over the phone. Huh. Did, Did I hit a button? There you go. I think you hit mute. God, stupid ear. Okay, there he is. <laughs> okay, so before my ear screw Take up, two. Um, yes, take two, click. Um, I get a hold of this guy about a Rikishi seminar and everything. I'm like, okay, I can learn something from a big dude. You know, he's big like me, little fatty. I can learn something from him. So me and Sarah get to talking, and, you know, we're like, okay, we're going to need this to get down there, blah, blah, blah. This is how much the seminar costs. We'll work out all these details, everything else. Um, and another friend of ours, uh, Playboy Paul Rose, he goes with us because he wants to do the seminar too. Get a hold of Noah Hendrickson, which is the guy who was putting the seminar and everything together. Uh, get a hold of him. You know, he re- he reserves our spot for us and everything. Um, so we get down, we, we decide that we're going to stay with my mom, which is about, you know, 30, 45 minutes away from where, you know, the show and seminar and everything was going to take place. We decide we're going to go down the night before, stay the night with her and, you know, spend a little time with her, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, wake up next morning and go. I, I start talking to Noah the night before and I immediately, my... DTA that I call it sensor starts going off. And if you watch wrestling, you know who Stone Cold Steve Austin is, you know what DTA is. Don't trust anybody. My DTA sensor starts going off. These little red flags start coming up about said seminar. Kind of let them go. Wake up the next day, get to the venue and everything, and we are in a in the building. Time for uh, time for the seminar to start. Ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. Mind you, there's a midday show that starts at about one or two. Noon, one. Still no Rikishi. Not there. So Noah shows up, and I'm like, "So, um, what's up with the seminar, man?" He's like, oh, uh, there, there's not going to be one. So, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we're just going to put you, you know, on on both shows. Okay, sure, that's fine, that's cool, no biggie. Sure enough, 
Rikishi's next door in the bar getting drunk with the other, you know, wrestlers that are supposed to be on the show. So, um, first show that starts at two, okay? Um, it, it, it was there were seven seven people showed up for it, and uh, <laughs> I think there was about the same amount of workers too. Um, they were scrambling trying to figure out how to do or what to do for these seven people that showed up because they're just like this is absolute crap. Only seven people showed up. Blah blah blah. So about the time the Harlem Shake was a thing, okay. So as everybody's sitting there scrambling around, what are we going to do? Blah blah blah. What are we going to do? Um, I'm sitting there on this couch that was back there, and I'm like, guys, why don't we go out there and we do a Harlem Shake video? And Derek King, who's one of the local legends, is like, that's what we're doing. He's like, we're going to go out there, we're going to do a freaking Harlem Shake, and that's the whole show. Literally, there. I'm, I don't know if it's still out there or not. It might be on Facebook. It might not be. I don't know. But literally, it was, I think it was 15 to 25 minutes. Derek and this guy named Super Brown went out there and talked for about five minutes, cut the promo, a quick little Shabazz, little whatever happened. And then here come heels to beat up Super Brown. Here come baby faces to run them off. Giant schmaz happens. We're all down. Harlem Shake starts. Um, we start Harlem shaking ourselves out of the ring and basically to the back, and that's the whole show. People are pissed off. Fast forward a few hours, about 5 o'clock. Trevor Murdoch, who was on show two, along with uh, Miss Natural, Rikishi, Brian Christopher, Jerry Lawler, um, Beautiful Bobby Eaton, and I think there's supposed to be a couple more people there, but thank God they didn't show up. Um, at about 5 o'clock, show starts at 7. We're scrambling again. The promoter pay these people off of the door. In the wrestling business, just for anybody who's listening, and if you ever want to run a show, here's a good piece of advice from you. Don't do that. If it's, if you're bringing in a name like Jerry Lawler, you have their money up front at the door for him. Okay? This guy was going to sit there and pay everybody off the door. He was expecting there to be a big enough crowd to do so because he was bringing in Brian Christopher and Rikishi to be too cool. And he was bringing in Trevor Murdoch. He was bringing in Jerry Lawler. So he was sitting there and expecting to pay people in these guys off-door money. So, Derek is starting to talk to this guy. You know, Jerry is going to be here in a few minutes. Do you have his money? All hell breaks loose. Derek is like, you don't have his money. No, I was, you know, I was expecting, you know, to pay him off the door, blah, blah, blah. He's like, do you have any idea what's going to happen to you when he gets here and you don't have his money? Everything starts going down the drain. And as this guy, I don't even remember his name at all. What was his name? 
Nate. That's all I remember. Nate. Was Nate. Yeah, it was yeah. it was Nate something. Yeah, you're right, Nate. He starts scrambling to try and you know come up with something, anything. Well, I uh, I step outside the back just to kind of you know get out of the situation that was going on back there, and this white Impala, new, nice, real nice Chevy Impala pulls up, tinted windows, and this was right after Jerry got put in the Hall of Fame, and tinted windows, I mean blacked. All the way around, front, back, everything. The only thing you could see was this big old ring on the steering wheel. It's Jerry. Brian and Rikishi show up, and Trevor and Miss Natural is already there. Jerry shows up. And at this moment, we're also trying to figure out if we're even going to put a show on. So Derek pulls this, pulls everybody together in the locker room and is like, look, this is my personal opinion. This guy is going to get his ass beat. He doesn't have Jerry's money. He doesn't have the money for Brian, everybody else. You know, it's my personal opinion that we shouldn't even do this freaking show, that we just shut it down and whatever happens to him happens to him. And he's like, is there anybody here that is even willing to work this show? There's a couple guys that are like, no, screw him, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, <laughs> no, screw you. I'll work. i raise my hand. And then I was actually, Trevor was maybe, there was maybe one or two people between me and Trevor and Miss Natural, Sarah, and John. And whenever I said, like, look, I'll do it, Trevor kind of looked at me and he's like, Shit, fuck it, I'm already here. This mind you, this is right after Trevor is coming off of an injury. It's his very first show back and the guy's having to deal with this stuff. So Trevor's like, you know what? I'm already here. I need to get a match in. I'll work. As soon as Trevor says, you know, I'll work, everybody kinda starts getting on board to put this freaking show on. So they agree to put me and Playboy against each other before the show starts to kinda get everybody hyped up. And everything, we get Brian in the building, we get Rikishi in the building, and Jerry actually does come in, and uh, he's uh, he's not been told about said um, so he doesn't really know what's going on. Uh, he goes out front, he starts selling merch and everything, talking to uh, the owner of the company and everything at the time, the guy was renting the building, not Nate, but another guy. Watching the show and everything, and um, right after my match, there was the opening of the show, the first match, second match, third match was um, a friend of mine, Bull Bronson, and somebody else uh, against Fukishi and Brian Christopher. It was after that match, Sarah and I was like, okay. We're 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 leaving. We're not going to stick around. This isn't going to happen. We didn't want any part you know, of what was getting ready to happen. Do what? We didn't want any part of what was getting ready to happen. Yeah. Uh-uh. You know, we, we knew it was going to be bad, and we did not want to be a part of it. So we took ourselves out of the equation. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about how this setup of this place is, okay? There's the venue. Literally right in front of it, about 
quarter of a mile away is a Burger King. Okay? Place to stop and get some food. We get in our regular street clothes, say bye to everybody who was still there except for who was in the match that was going on, and um, put our things in our car. We're like, hey, let's get some food real quick, and we'll head home. As, okay, we are in a, we're in the drive-thru. My phone rings. Mind you, it's only been maybe 10, 15 minutes. It ain't been that long. 10, 15 minutes, apparently, all hell has broken loose. So, see my phone rings, and it's John, Playboy. He's like, you guys should not have left. Wow, what happened? They're like, Nate is getting his ass beat right now. Really? Yep. They just pulled him into an office. This is the whole scenario as I'm on the phone. All this stuff is going down. They, and mind you, this Nate guy, he's he's kind of crippled a little bit. He has this weird gimp thing that was going on, whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, so, kind of felt sorry for the guy, you know, but in wrestling, this, what he did is something that you just don't do, but I digress about that. Um, he, uh, Rikishi and Brian pull him into this little office area and, um, basically strip him naked, butt naked, no clothes, no shoes, no socks, nothing, and... Rikishi is apparently trying to find anything and everything to to stab this guy with. You know, um, uh, what is this, like a little, like a fry daddy, like the little hooks or whatever. He was taking on just trying to just anything to stab this guy with, basically. Well, they end up just opening the door after they rough him up, punch him, beat him, kick him, slap him, all of those things. After they're done, you know, roughing him up and everything, they throw him out there literally in the whole locker room just, you know, to just kind of berate the guy and just belittle him and everything else. Well, apparently the bathroom, which, mind you, it was literally on the other side of this giant building. Okay, it was in a flea market. It used to be an okay mart, but we rented out a section for wrestling and everything, and the bathroom was on the way on the other end of the joint. The bathroom was, I'm guessing, too far for Brian to go to to use. So he had been using a 44-ounce cup to go to the bathroom in, number one, not number two. Just want to clarify which which you know which one he had been going in. If he had been number two and in the cup, he's got good aim. But it was number one. Um, so as he's out there, you know, he's butt-naked in front of women, men, and everything – Getting, you know, belittled. Everybody's, you know, telling everybody who wasn't in the know what was going on, what he had done, and everything else. Brian proceeds to make him drink Brian's urine and then pour it all over him. Along with on his clothes and throwing all of his stuff outside in the garbage bin, throwing his shoes over a power line and all these other nice things. I'd like to interrupt for just one second to point out that currently Jerry Lawler is smiling like like he just got laid on SmackDown on my TV screen. <laughs> I think that's pretty fitting considering the story you're telling. <laughs> um, because if he was listening, I'm sorry, he would, go ahead. He 
would know. He would know the truth of this if he was sitting there listening to it. He would know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. I just oh, no, thought it was it, worth it, noting. <laughs> that is that's a, that's a good note. But that that's basically kind of like where where it all ends for the most part. So if there's anybody who is listening to this, which I know there is, you guys got fans. So, but anybody who is a promoter or a wannabe promoter, let that be a lesson to you learned already to not do this to us because bad things can potentially happen to you. If you're going to bring in a name, you better have their money up front before you even ask them to come to your show, okay, because bad things can and probably will happen to you. Do I condone it? No. But I'm just saying there are those guys that will mess you up if you don't have their money because this is this is how those guys still make a living. It's all they know. They can't go work a nine-to-five like, you know, some of us guys who are lower than them. They don't do that. You know, they can't be, you know, a manager of a Taco Bell like I know some guys are. You know, they can't do that. You know, they can't they can't be that guy. So this is how they make a living. And if you screw with them, their money, which that money provides for their family and food on their family's table, you're going to get hurt. And as crappy of a situation as it was, and put a black eye on you know the business and everything, it's 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 what happens. So if you're listening to this, please heed my words. Have the money up front and give it to him as soon as they walk in the door. <laughs> Please, to where that doesn't happen to you. I almost don't want you so to yeah, even give them that advice. <laughs> I almost don't want you to even give them that advice because I want to hear more, more stories like this happen. <laughs> that happened. That, that, is, that is straight legit. Everything he just said happened, and it was crazy. Oh, I believe it. And I believe it. And that's the thing is that there are some people out there that just don't know. And don't, not, not that they don't know. It's that they, they just don't comprehend that there are certain ways to do business. And every business has a certain way to do things. Certain ones are very strict and very traditional. Wrestling happens to be one of those. And I'll, I'll even give you a good example of how I know about this kind of thing happening is there's a guy who runs some uh, stuff. I can't, I'm not going to say his name. I could say his name, but I'm not going to. Uh, he runs some stuff down in the uh, Carolinas, and he tried blackballing me in this show and saying some nasty stuff about me to a bunch of different wrestlers and a bunch of different people. And, you know, they contacted me, these people. They're like, yeah, this guy's running you down. Like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know what his deal is, but, you know, he's an idiot. And then Karma hit him in the ass because he booked somebody he couldn't pay for, and that person blasted him all over the Internet. So it just goes to show that, you know, you can't do business – the wrong way. If you're going to do business, make sure you know what you're doing before you even try that business. Yeah. It's business. My best advice, my best advice for somebody that is trying to get in and be a promoter and everything else, my best advice to you is find somebody who is legit that has been doing this for a very long time, who has a good reputation, and ask them questions on how exactly to run and do business. Or else things like that are going to happen to you, unfortunately. Well, and, you know, they're lucky because, and they're lucky because in today's day, you know, you won't get a, probably as bad of a, you know, I guess punishment, 
your lack of a better word, uh, than you would have gotten back in like the eighties. Can because can you imagine Stiff and Harley race on money? Oh my God, you you wouldn't be able to talk right. You wouldn't be able to walk right. Still, no, you wouldn't have a tongue probably. Mm-hmm. No, no, you would never be heard from again. Yeah, because I've heard stories. I, I not be found. Well, I've heard specific stories from big name wrestlers about how like things where he would just beat up people at a barbecue. You know, Harley Race just that kind of guy. You piss him off, he'll knock the hell out of you, and that, and that's something that yeah. you know you owe him money. And yeah, of course he's going to be like that. Yeah, you uh, you just people don't understand where this is. This is people's livelihood. I mean, you don't just get into this to play. You know, I mean, mind you, there are those people that do sit there and will pay a promoter to be their champ and be the pay-to-play guys. But there are those guys like me, Sarah, and a few others who take this very seriously and consider it a part, you know, for some, a part-time job, for some, a full-time job. You know, so if you sit there and you pull the crap like that guy did and mess with our money, we're going to mess with you back. Because I was always told... If you go into a show, you better get guaranteed money, exact amount, talked to, worked out before you show up. If they cannot pay you, okay, your exact amount that you two agreed upon, you take whatever necessary to make sure that you get your money. That is what was taught and instilled to me. I don't do that. You know, um, I, even though I've been doing this since, like I said, you know, about 2006, 2007, I still, you know, feel like I'm not in that position to do such a thing. So I just, I take the loss and I go on about my way. I don't make a fuss or anything like I should, but, you know, it, it will happen. I was an unfortunate in a situation and seen it happen and everything else. So... Yeah, that that stuff happens too. You know, people don't don't look at this being a business and everything else. They just look at it as guys in spandex and baby oil and beating each other up and all this other stuff. They don't look at it as a business and everything else the way that we do. Well, you know what? We've been talking about this now for about a good hour, and to be completely honest with you, I'm I'm so happy that you shared that story because. <laughs> it is. It's, it's very. It, it is very good advice for people that if they want to be in the industry, if they want to run shows, if they want to run a promotion, if they want to have success, those are very, very key uh, ingredients, so to speak, that they need to adapt and they need to start using and put into play. Uh, I think yeah. that most importantly, uh, you know, like the tradition of wrestling and the fact that wrestling. You know, there might be a lot of wrestlers, but wrestling is still kind of, you know, like almost a small pond, you know, and peeing in that pond is never a good idea. Uh-uh. Nope. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Don't bite the hand that feeds. That's just the way that works. Well, Sarah, I, uh, I, I've i been pretty much taking control of this whole thing. I'm sure you have a question or a comment for Billy because you've been sitting there very quiet and patient this whole time. No, I was letting him tell his story because it's a good story. It's a good story. He's got tons of good stories. We could go on for hours and hours with stories. Yeah. I don't 
I don't think I've ever told you the Tony Atlas story. We could get into that, but that's that's another show. <laughs> yeah, we'll probably need, we'll probably need three hours for that one. Oh yeah, yeah you you will definitely man. I got I got stories for days. Dang. And I got I got things that you know I can say that hopefully if there's you know other guys that have just you know that have just started that are a year in or less than a year there's things that you know I can speak on on things to do and say and how to conduct themselves and it, I can I can talk about this stuff for days man this is this is what I would consider my livelihood I've said this ever since you know. I, I actually, you know, broke in. I'm like, this this wrestling stuff is the only thing I'm good at in life. You know, o- outside of wrestling, I'm just, excuse my French here, I just, I'm a shitty human. Wrestling is the only thing I'm good at. It's, it's you know, for the longest time, it's the only thing that I knew. You know, so it's like the only thing I'm good at. I'm shitty at my job, and, you know, I, you know, that's just, that's the way it is, and that's the way it is for most of us. You know, wrestling can be and is some of our lives. So, you know, going back to whenever people mess with our money, that's the reason why bad things happen. And, you know, I've made wrestling my life for so long, that's the reason why I know so much and I have so many stories and have so much, you know, knowledge to pass down to folks. You know, there's a reason why the only person that I've claimed to have trained <laughs> Even though there's, you know, somebody else out there who train who claims that I did. The only person who that I actually claimed did uh um Dale Wild, you know, there's a reason why less than six months he was in this business, somebody put a you know, championship belt on him. Because the things that I know and have done I passed down to him and, you know, Right there, you know that that was that was my proof and my pudding that I've said it's it's right there. I taught him, you know, everything that I know, put him on a path, and he's doing such huge and great things right now. So yeah, yeah. I can well, you know, you, I can talk about this stuff and do this stuff all day long. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm I'm glad that we did. I I, I feel bad because I I meant to uh, mention you know we went we went a little bit long today, which is fine because I scheduled this for enough time. Uh, but I uh, I meant to mention at some point, which I didn't mention, and I don't know if you guys are aware. Um, do you guys know about uh, Wild Child Joey Kidman? No. Mm-mm. Okay, he's a, a wrestler down in uh, I believe the Atlanta areas. I know that right now uh, he's in an Atlanta hospital, and he was on our show last year. And uh, he's right now he's in intensive care, and he's, you know he's not looking good, and he's unresponsive still, and he's been in there for days. Uh, so I just wanted to, you know, kind of reach out and, uh, you know, just let the family know everybody's thinking of them. Uh, you know, we're pulling for them. They've got the hashtag uh, pulling for Kidman right now. Uh, you're a great oh, yeah, guy. Sure. And I just wanted to, uh, you know, I just wanted to thank him. You know, I, I know I can't thank him right now because obviously he's not in a position to hear this, but, you know, I hope he does come out and he hears this. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to let him know that I so much appreciate when he joined us because it was very last minute. I literally got a hold of him 20 minutes before we went on the air because a guest had canceled, unfortunately. And he joined us, dropped everything he was doing. And I, I can't remember what it was, but he had some important stuff that he had to do. And he dropped everything, joined us for like 35 minutes, and then talked to me for about another 25 minutes after that. A uh, very selfless guy. He's very cool, you know, really cool guy to talk to on Facebook. And, uh, you know, he's got a family. So, you know, I definitely uh, just want yeah. him to know that we're all thinking of him. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, has has the family like reached out? Do they need help with anything? I you like know what, I honestly, or like that? I, I honestly don't really know much. Um, I literally just found out today that he's been in there for the last few days because he just posted. I think the. 13th or the 14th he posted something and then you know the next thing I know somebody's posting that he's in the ICU so um you know unfortunately if you if anybody does have any questions I'm unfortunately not the person to ask because I I literally have no information on it other than just you know he's not doing good and you know uh, a lot of his friends are asking for prayers and uh you know I'm just the kind of person to where um I like to you know reach out like that especially when somebody is you know having a grave situation like this and just let them know that we're thinking of them and the family and especially somebody like that, that, you know, he really went out of his way for us and he didn't have to. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like if the family, man, if they need anything, wrestling, we are family, whether we know you or not, you know, they, you know, they're, they're family. So yeah, definitely prayers going out to his. And I mean, if they need anything, just, just let them reach out. I'm, I'm sure that we will be able to help in some way. Absolutely. Well, you know, again, like I said, I don't, I don't know much. Um, I'm hoping for next week, if if things haven't changed, I'm hoping to have some kind of info because uh, I have been talking to a few of his friends, just waiting for some replies. And uh, I'll make sure to give everybody updates, let you know what you can do. I know that there's like cards and things that are being sent to his hospital room, uh, so you know, I'll try to get all the information that I can to everybody. Uh, but again, I, you know, I did, I did want to thank you, Farmer, for uh, joining us this week. Uh, I wish we had a little bit more time. I wish we had more time, but fortunately for us, and I mentioned this last week, we, uh, we're we only doing one more show on Blog Talk Radio, and we're going to our new home uh, with the offshoots, and, you know, people can download us still on iTunes and things like that, still download us on Facebook. Uh, but, you know, what I want to do is I wanna, I, I'd want i love to get you for, like, a three-part thing where we'll do, like, three episodes and just get a lot of this just out of the open and just let you flush it all out, man. Of course, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that because, like I said at the beginning of this thing, man, I am a open book. If there's any questions or just anything, you know, just ask. I have no problem talking about it whatsoever. It's a business that I love and I put myself on the line for, so why not, you know, talk about it? <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I I loved, you know, everything that we talked about was was great. You know, we talked about WrestleMania, which is exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I learned some things about some people that, uh, you know, I, I grew up watching that uh, kind of made made me smile and cringe at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I got I got a plethora more. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you I'm sure after that, I'm sure you do. Uh, and I, yeah, yeah, I, got, no, a, I uh, got a good story about some midgets. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we're definitely going to save that for the next show. Because <laughs> we're going to need a lot of time for that one. Uh, so, uh, again, I, Farmer, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Sarah, hey, always no a pleasure. Problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Sarah. Always a pleasure uh, having you on the show with me. Great co-host. I couldn't do it without you. Uh, just to let everybody know, uh-huh. the if <laughs> the uh, If Powers Kickstarter run by Aaron Moore is still going until, I believe, 3 p.m. tomorrow. So it's not too late to pledge. There are amazing pledges. I wrote a page for that book. So you guys want to check it out, check it out. Please check out Farmer Billy Hills on Facebook. Of course, Sarah Summers and uh, myself, Fringezilla. We're all on Facebook. Check us out, like our pages. And most importantly, make sure to tune in next week, Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central.
for another episode of the CAC show. It will be our final episode of the CAC show on Blog Talk Radio. So I hope you guys will join us. And, of course, I think I'll be back. So let's hope. Yes. See you all next week. 